0: Daily Lectionary Comments for August the 7th, First Samuel chapter 20, a very touching scene between Jonathan and David, and 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 1, we begin a brand new book. Okay, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, beginning at verse 24, things kind of come to a head between Saul and his son Jonathan. The the plan that David and Jonathan had hatched to determine quietly uh, whether Saul was angry at David or not is put into play, and uh, and Saul clearly shows his animosity toward David. So Saul, or excuse me, Jonathan now knows that his his dear friend David really is in mortal danger. But then we see that Saul doesn't actually attack Jonathan, but verbally he does. It says in verse 30, then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan because Jonathan was trying to defend David, you see. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your own mother? Her, your own mother's nakedness. Well, He's really piling on, isn't he? Verse 31, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you or your kingdom will be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. So in other words, Saul now comes right out with it. Saul is now persuaded that David will usurp his throne. And when he usurps his throne, it will cost Jonathan and all of Jonathan's progeny their life. So Saul is angry with Jonathan for his support of David. Now, the reason, of course, that, that, that Jonathan is supporting David is not because he doesn't see this. It's because Jonathan actually is very much like David in that both David and Jonathan have a deep devotion and love for the Lord. And if David is the Lord's choice, well, Jonathan loves David, and Jonathan loves the Lord, and David is Jonathan's choice. Also, of course, now Saul doesn't know this, but Jonathan has already gotten David to swear that David won't kill Jonathan or wipe out his descendants when the kingdom comes to him. So Jonathan has already kind of taken care of his own progeny, at least their lives, but they won't have the throne, and he knows they won't have the throne, and Jonathan doesn't want the throne. Jonathan wants God to have the man after his own heart, his own choice and that choice is david now having learned that that uh his father really is going to kill david this isn't just a uh a a bad mood or an episode um jonathan uh uh, uh executes the plan that he and david had uh made uh, in yesterday's devotion and he goes out into a field where he knows where david is hiding so that the young man next to him doesn't know that David is out there. And the whole plan is David will shoot arrows and then have the young man go get him. And the arrows will be shot near where David is at. And when the young man goes out to fetch the arrows, uh, he will shout. And he will shout out, uh, either go further, the arrows are further. Or, or if, he, if he shouts that, then David is to know uh, that in fact Saul is uh, meaning to kill him. And so he will hear the message shouted. And of course, this is exactly what Jonathan does. Go far. It's much further away. So it's it's like he emphasizes, you are in big, serious danger. And in this way, he is able to get this message to David without the young man knowing. That's important. And then later in the darkness, Jonathan and David meet. And uh, they know that they're probably not going to see one another again. And it's a very touching scene. They love one another. They are weeping for one another. It says that David was weeping even more. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a truly touching story of uh, true uh, uh, male friendship. Um, it also is a touching story of two men caught up in larger events. And uh, in, in this, um, you know, the, the, the angles between David and Jonathan and Saul, and the Lord, and the Lord's plans, and meanwhile, they're to be faithful to the Lord, but they also love one another. It's it's a, just a very touching scene. They meet, and they part, weeping. Now, we're going to skip several chapters. I will summarize what happens in those next chapters, because it's kind of important uh, before uh, at, at tomorrow's devotion. Okay, First Corinthians chapter 1. I I'm going to give you some some background on what's going on here. In about 50 AD, in his second missionary journey, Paul stopped in Corinth. And Paul spent about a year and a half ministering in Corinth and establishing a congregation there. This is the congregation to which this letter was written, the letter to the Corinthians. So there's a Christian congregation established in Corinth, Which is in Greece, and Paul was instrumental in getting it started. That was on the second missionary journey. Later, Paul would set out on his third missionary journey, and the bulk of the time in the third missionary journey would be spent on the opposite side of the Aegean Sea, across from Greece in Turkey, in a large city called Ephesus. Paul would spend about two years ministering in Ephesus and building a congregation there. Now, while he is in Ephesus, so this is maybe, I don't know, 54 AD. So maybe four years after he was in Corinth. He's in Ephesus and he's ministering. Paul receives a delegation from his old congregation in Corinth. A number of them came and they had questions because there was a lot of problems and a lot of things that were going on in this old congregation. So you have to understand that Paul's letter to the Corinthians was in response to a laundry list of problems and issues that were brought to him by members of that Corinthian congregation. They had all kinds of problems. Number one is they were divided one against another. There were a lot of parties and factions. So Paul will address the appropriateness of parties and factions in the church. There was a question about what to do about a a certain individual who engaged in public immorality, but had not been removed from the congregation. Paul will have to deal with that. There were members of the congregation that were filing lawsuits against one another. He will have to deal with that. There's going to be questions about marriage and whether Christians can get married and and whether if a person who is married becomes a Christian, should they divorce a non-Christian wife? There will be questions about that. There will be questions about whether they can eat food sacrificed to idols or just how they're to deal with all the idolatry of the people around them. Uh, and, and from the very uh, places that these very Corinthians used to worship, how do they deal with, with that? There's going to be questions about idolatry generally. There's going to be questions about the Lord's Supper and how that is to be practiced. And Again, more about divisions in the church relating to the Lord's Supper. There's going to be questions about spiritual gifts and what spiritual gifts mean and are and who should have them. There's going to be questions about women in the church. There's going to be questions uh, about the resurrection and, and whether the resurrection has already happened or what the resurrection will be like. All of these things were brought to Paul, that and probably many other things. And the letter of 1 Corinthians is going to tackle these one at a time. And he begins by dealing with the issue of unity, which in, in, our, in our reading today, that's what his focus is on, is on unity. That there is one church brought together by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's, he, in, in this letter, is first going to hit that that you all need to stop acting like children and you need to grow up and recognize that the unity of the church is vital and you guys are acting uh in in every way except the way the children of God ought to act. So when you read this and we're going to get more into specifically what he's talking about here um you know the the, the power of the spirit as opposed to wisdom and folly, and all of this kind of stuff. We'll talk about that tomorrow. That's very important in his theme in developing what's going on in Corinth. But uh, just to begin here, uh, he's he's wanting to make it very clear that the divisions that are in the church are absolutely unacceptable. So he starts with that. And we're going to go into more of the theology that he gets into when when he starts talking about uh, you know, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, that's very important, but we'll have an opportunity to talk more about that tomorrow. Very briefly, I just want to mention who this Sosthenes person is. There is another Sosthenes, is mentioned in, First Cor- in Acts chapter 18, actually in connection with Corinth. However, I, I don't think that that's the same Sosthenes, because that Sosthenes was not a believer, and this one clearly is. Well, why is Paul naming him? We don't know anything else about him. This man probably was a scribe, and what he did, and that is by scribe, I mean that Paul speaks and Sosthenes writes what he speaks, okay? He's transcribing the letter to the Corinthians, and then he is going to be delivering it. Him and probably others are gonna be delivering, together with this delegation that has come, Paul's response. So Sosthenes uh, is Paul's right-hand man, he, he may have helped craft a letter at this place or that place, but mostly Paul couldn't write very well. If you remember at the end of Galatians, he talked about what large letters I write, you know, and it's very clear that his penmanship is not very good, and, and so he's a brilliant thinker, but not, uh, not great penmanship. So somebody else is going to write this letter. Paul is going to dictate, Sosthenes is going to write, and then Sosthenes is going to represent Paul in going back to Corinth. To give Paul's responses to the various concerns. So I want you to keep these things in your mind as we go forward in interpreting this fascinating letter more tomorrow.